Well, kia ora everybody. Welcome, welcome. Good readings from New Zealand. Uh, it's a joy to be back here again, once again. Um, a lot of new faces in the crowd tonight. My name is Alex, for those who, who haven't met me, and my wife is Nia. She was up playing the guitar this evening. Um, we got married 12 months ago and, and headed off to New Zealand to Bible College, but it's a joy for us to be back here again tonight, fellowshipping with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is our home church, and we've missed you all greatly, so it's, it's, it's great to be back again. And as I'm sure my mother-in-law told many of you, we weren't supposed to be back until the 1st of, of January, <laughs> but um, Uncle Jeff booked us in to preach exactly 12 months ago today. So uh, I didn't want to break that promise, so... And thought it would be a good time to, to come back and surprise the family. Well, tis the season to be jolly. That was what some fat plastic Santa told me in Big W today as I walked past him. And it seems as though for many months now, our shops have been filling up with Christmas decorations, foods, candies, lollies of all descriptions. To many people around us, this time of year, it seems as though it's just a festival of goodwill and good food, a time to relax with family and friends. It's simply a day that seems to come around each year and everybody is that little bit nice to one another, everybody's friendly, kind, they're giving of gifts, those sorts of things. But all these good works, they seem to be done in the name of Christmas spirit. It seems as though when the world is falling apart around us, wars going on, disruption in the Middle East. For one day of the year, we seem to set aside this time for a bit of brightness, and that is Christmas. I know even back in, in 1914, during World War I, um, they had a ceasefire over Christmas, where men on both sides, they stopped, they came to no man's land in the middle, they greeted each other, gave gifts, they, were, they even played a game of football, spent time with one another, only hours later to return to killing one another in the trenches again. And even some amongst the Christian circles would say that this season is, is a time of peace. It's all about world peace. And they take that beautiful angelic declaration of Luke chapter 2 out of context that says, glory to God in the, eye, in the highest and earth and on earth, peace. They take that out of context. How much it should sadden us the time we set aside each year to remember the birth of Christ the world has turned into some festival of goodwill and hopeless celebration. This time of the year should be doing one thing and one thing only for us and that is pointing us towards Christ. It should point us towards the mercy of Christ and the faithfulness of a promise-keeping God who sent His Son. It should point us towards the love of Christ, towards us, His people. In fact, these things should not just be our focus today, tomorrow. These things should be on our heart always. If we have a relationship with Christ, these things must, everything we do, everything we say, everything we have must be motivated by the gospel, must be motivated by Christ. If you have your Bibles this evening, I know it's Thursday night, but um, if you have your Bibles, I think everybody should have their Bibles all the time. <laughs> Open up to uh, Titus chapter 2, to our passage this evening. And as you turn there, I'll just give, you brief, give a brief bit of context. Here in this book of Titus, Paul is writing to his young friend who is ministering on the island of Crete. And Paul, in his letter, is effectively instructing the men there on how the various spheres of their life and ministry must be centred and must be motivated by the gospel. 
And with that in mind, let us read our passage. I think it's up on the screen as well for us. Reading from verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us in order that denying impiety and worldly desires, we may live self-controlled and righteously and godly in the present age, looking forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us in order that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and purify himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Just prior to these verses, um, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul is giving practical teaching here to the church, practical instruction. He's teaching them self-controlled lives, righteous living, godly living. And it's interesting to note in those verses that not one single people group is exempt. He addresses older men, younger men, older women, younger women, even the slaves he addresses. And another thing to note just briefly as well, Paul in his writings never gives practical teaching without basing it upon a theological truth. And that is what we have right here in verse 11. We have that switch. He's, it's like he's saying, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to live righteously. And now why? And come verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Tonight, in the, the brief time that we have, I just want to look mainly at verse 11 um, and see how the birth of Christ ties in to the reason or the foundation for our godly living, why we can put off sin and why we, can, um, why we must live lives to glorify God in all we say and do. For the grace of God has appeared. As my Greek professor this, this year just gone, say he's an American guy, um, this construction in the original language is, is emphatic. And he would say, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. And I, I love it because the construction is like that. It's how we should read it. Paul is getting excited. This is like the climax of his address here. This is the climax of the entire book. This is his praise point. For the grace of God has appeared. Now, we seem to talk about grace a lot. We, we read it. We read it in our scriptures. We, we pray it sometimes. But I wonder if we actually have a solid understanding of what grace actually means. I think the simplest definition that I could give to it is that grace is God's unmerited favour towards us as undeserving sinners. Actually, if you want to write something down this evening, this is what to write down. Grace is God's unmerited favour towards us, undeserving sinners. And we often think of God's grace in terms of a divine attribute. But here in this verse, Paul is meaning so much more. It is a divine attribute, but what is the way that God truly manifested his grace, his grace towards us? What is the one way that God showed his unmerited favour towards us as mankind? It was through the appearing of a divine person, through the appearing of Christ. This one-off historical event, it was divine conception by the power of the Holy Spirit whereby God sent His only Son, Jesus, not only God incarnate, but He was grace incarnate. The very essence of God's grace is in Christ who came to earth as a child. This season is a time to celebrate, to remember this appearing. 
rather than be filling our bellies with food or our houses with useless gifts. This pivotal moment in all of history was spoken of by Isaiah some 700 years prior to its happening. And well-known verses, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For a child has been born for us, a son has been given to us, and the dominion will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and his dominion will grow continually. And to peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. Then, 2,000 years ago, Luke chapter 2 records for us exactly what happened. Um, And as it, uh, verse verse 6 in chapter 2, it says, And as it happened, while they were there, a time came for Mary to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, why is the grace of God, why is the appearing of Christ, why is the nativity story so pivotal to our understanding and our belief? Why do we even bother to remember it? Well, as Mr. Grant has already told us tonight, this child was born, born for one reason, born to die. What does Paul say in Titus 2.11? The grace of God has appeared for one thing, to bring salvation. His birth is so significant because without it we would not have this same opportunity of salvation that we have through the coming of Christ. God's unmerited favour, God's grace has appeared, bringing saving power. God is a source of salvation through the sending of His own Son. And for why? For the purpose of redemption. Christ's death is the only sacrifice that could pay in full the cost of redemption. One of my favourite chapters in all of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 53. I want to just read through this briefly. To don't, don't turn there, but this is what redemption looks like. Isaiah, the prophet, speaking of what Christ would one day do for us, he says, verse 1, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he, verse 5, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. Down at verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot to him a portion with great, I will allot to him a portion because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. 
Yet he himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressors. He poured himself out, bearing the sins of many. This is why we can have the newness of life. This is why we must live our lives to the glory of God. Christ's birth, Christ's death, Christ's burial, Christ's resurrection should be our motivation to live lives that bring glory to God. I wonder, have we fully comprehended this truth? Do we meditate upon it day and night? Do you even here fully understand this? If you do not know what a relationship is like with Jesus Christ, I beg you, fall on your knees in confession of your sins before God. Believe upon the birth of Christ. Believe in the death and the burial and resurrection of Christ. And that it paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. And if you are like one that, that knows the joy that is a relationship with Christ, do you understand these truths and do they live out in your life? When I say, do, I, do, do they live out? I mean, every waking moment of your day, does the grace of God Does the coming of Christ, does the death of Christ motivate you away from unrighteousness and towards righteousness? Away from worldliness and towards a life that reflects the image and person of Christ? That is what it means to be in a relationship with Him. Is your life devoted to that kind of service? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. I pray that you would reflect on these things this evening. Let these truths wash over your heart. They should be washing over your heart on a daily basis. It should motivate us to praise, to worship, to live lives worthy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you this evening. We praise you for the sending of your Son, for the death for the burial, for the resurrection and the rising. Lord, we, we thank you that in him we can have newness of life. What joy it brings to our hearts this evening as we reflect on your word and the truths therein. Lord, let us be motivated. Let us be driven by them. Lord, in these things we pray. In your precious name. Amen.